welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Before I begin this, getting into this book, um, I want to say and I challenge us this evening, have you ever come to a point in your life where you feel like you are on a crossroad? Are you currently going through a very difficult situation? Maybe doctor's report? Are you going through a problem where you have relational problem in the family? Have you been crying and trusting God for that particular member of your family to receive Christ? Are you going through financial hardship? Are you going through all kinds of difficulties? Name it. Are you going through? Is there any particular problem in your life? That you feel that you have struggled and struggled and struggled, yet the problem is still there. I want to challenge you this evening. That please open your heart. That the story of Nehemiah should be that one will lit a flame in you. So that you will open up and then you get into your faith and you trust God to exit you out from that situation. I want you to open your heart. As we get into this lesson, because I do believe very strongly that the word of God never goes out and comes back void. I do believe so strongly that this evening God wants to minister to somebody who is going through a situation. But all I'm asking is that just open up your heart. Open your heart, leave it blank and let the Holy Spirit make a deposit for you today. And you will leave this place today with a story of breakthrough in your life in Jesus' mighty name. I will give a short background of this lesson, of this, uh, of this passage. First of all, the book of Nehemiah, the, the author is not known. It is believed that the person who wrote Ezra and Nehemiah is the same author. And at some point, it is also believed that somehow... The book was Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one, one book. Because if you read the book of Ezra and you read the book of Nehemiah, you will see that there is a great correlation between the two. And so we want to look at this story. And I decided to title it, The Shattered Plight of Jerusalem. The Shattered Plight of Jerusalem. Now, after the Babylonian captivity, a remnant of the Jewish people had returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra. Now, if you read in the book of 2 Kings chapter 25, you'll see that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon destroyed the royal courts and tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the walls of Jerusalem actually was the plight of the indigents of that land. The walls of Jerusalem was like their plight because the function of the wall actually was there for protection. It was a great wall. It protected them from the enemies. It's just like you living in your house and then you have a door. The door is there to protect any intruder from coming into your house when you don't let them. When you, you, don't, you don't give them access. So somebody can only come into your house when you give them that access. So the wall of Jerusalem was, was very, very, very significant to God's own people. So 2 Kings tell us that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon actually invaded Jerusalem. 
It took away all the people, took away all the things in God's house. And the reason why Nebuchadnezzar attacked these people, Jerusalem, God's people, was because they were stubborn. So God actually used Nebuchadnezzar as a way to bring his people to order. I just want to really, really wish and say this, that I beg of us that we should not make ourselves in that kind of a situation where God, because of our stubbornness, God would use a situation to bring us back to himself. The people were deported to Babylon, but some of the poorest. So when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, he took away all the good stuff and all the, the, the enrichment of that land. And then so the poorest people, those who were helpless, some of the poorest people, he left them behind. He left them behind to become as vine dressers and farmers. You know, it's like going to war and then you, you defeat a, a country and then you take all their strong men and, and powerful men. And then those ones that are very weak and lanky, those ones who are helpless, you say, ah, these ones, they are not good for nothing. So you decide to, to leave them there. This is actually what happened with this remnant when Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. Now, these people who returned sometime under the leadership of Zerubbabel and, and Ezra, they came there to Jerusalem, they tried to build the building, erect some of those buildings. Because what uh, Nebuchadnezzar did was that he destroyed, the, 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 he burned the royal court, and then the gates, he, he destroyed the walls, he burned the, the walls, so the land now was really, really exposed. Now, this remnant, when they came back from, from Babylon, they tried to, to erect those buildings. But even though they tried to erect those buildings, the wall was still left unconstructed. So the lack of fortified walls around the city left the people defenseless against their enemies. Now, of course, we know that things like weather, wild animals, opposing people, and other opponents could easily come in, attack them, you know, and bring great trouble to the people. Now, the wall remained in its fallen state throughout the Jewish exile until Nehemiah made it his personal mission to rebuild the wall. I want just to give you a little, some few reasons why uh, the importance of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is very, very important. According to Psalms chapter 132, God has chosen Jerusalem as his resting place and place where his anointed will be lifted, will be, will, will, he's lifted, no, let me take this over, over again, I'm sorry. God has chosen Jerusalem as his resting place and place where his anointed will be the light of his people, as Psalms 132 says. Then if you go to, to Psalms 134, you see that Jerusalem is highlighted as the epicenter of the Lord's blessing. Now, if you go again to Psalms 135, you will see the author states that Jerusalem is a place where God dwells. So, for all this importance at attributed to Jerusalem, where God actually dwells with his people, for the wall now to be broken and the city left bare, it was a big problem. And this was a big concern to Nehemiah. And I say this, I want to interject by asking you this question. Are you seeing that your walls are broken? Are you seeing that you have these problems that you don't know what to do? 
Are you seeing that you are going through a difficult crisis? The family is going through a difficult crisis. The family is just being disorganized and, and things are not just going well in your life the way you think or the way you, you, you want it or the way things ought to be. I look at the wall of Jerusalem today to be our personal problem, like the problems that we have. I look at the wall of Jerusalem like Christians, the problems that we do have in life. And let's see what happened. Now, let's go now to our passage now. Now, at this point from verse 1, it said, During the month of, uh, of Chisley in the 20th year, when I was in the uh, fortress city of Susa. So at this time, when the account of Nehemiah was being written, he was also out of Jerusalem. He was not in Jerusalem. And in verse 2, he says that Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile. It's like there is war here in Lexington. So let's say like there was war here in Lexington, and some people, the stronger ones, they left, they ran away and left. And everybody actually who was out there, you are still concerned because this is where you call home. So it's a similar situation where Nehemiah was facing. At this point, he was a cupbearer and serving uh, at the court of uh, uh, the Persian king, Atazexis. And he was a cupbearer. And a cupbearer is who? A cupbearer is that one actually who tests a wine before the king can drink. He's the one who actually would drink, would test the wine, make sure that it is not poison, make sure that it's a good wine, then the king can drink. So he had this very good position that I mean, life to him was so good. Life to him was so nice. No, if he was, if he was selfish, Nehemiah would not have been asking these brothers who came from, from Jerusalem to be asking them about the remnants. Because he was not selfish. And that is the kind of attitude that we Christians, we should adopt. We should, Galatians 6, we say, we should bear one another's burden. As Christians, we should learn to bear each other's burden. We should learn to see about the welfare of others. This is the kind of character and kind of attitude that Nehemiah actually possessed. Because he was good where he was actually in exile. He was really good. As a matter of fact, like I said, he was the cup bearer of the king. He was eating the best of the best. He was living well, protected, good housing. But his heart was not there. He still had the heart for his people. And so when this brethren came... Nehemiah asks, verse 2 tells us, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile. And this is the sad news that was, was given unto Nehemiah. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's world has been broken down and its gates have been burned. The remnant, those people who actually left, who stayed behind, and the ones that who left and went and met them and stayed there, the news that got to Nehemiah was that the people are in great trouble and disgrace. He said, Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates are burnt down. Now, if you look at the, um, the importance of Jerusalem, as I said in these few passages in Psalms, 
And then you feel that these are God's people. And this is, this is where God actually dwells with his people. And then you look at the wall, the gate, the wall and the gate being destroyed. I think that is a concern to every citizen of that country. It's a concern to anybody who actually came from that country. Wherever you may find yourself, that should be a concern. And this was a concern to Nehemiah. This actually, it moved Nehemiah to action. This actually made Nehemiah to, to pause a little bit and to think what is going on. And let's see what verse 4 says. I like this verse 4. And verse 4, actually, this is the center of our message this evening. Verse 4 says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. It is very important to know that as a child of God, when things are not going right for you, when things are not coming the way they ought to come, when you feel in your life that there is a barrier, there is a barricade, there is a blockage, when you feel that things are not happening right for your brother or your sister, my brothers, my sisters, we need to adopt this attitude of Nehemiah. What did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah paused a little bit. He stopped everything that he was doing. And his mind focused about the people that were suffering. The remnant were suffering. The, the walls had been broken. And not only that, but the gate also was burnt. What a shame from, for, to everybody who actually came from Jerusalem. This was a shame. Because these are people who are chosen by God. Not only are they chosen, but those few passages that I said, it tells us that in Jerusalem, God dwells there with them. But now we see that the walls has collapsed. And Nehemiah, when he got this message, this guy popped up. He was burning. This guy, I can imagine seeing him moving around, around the courtyard. I can see him beating himself up, kicking buckets, and, and just being disturbed. Because he had a love for his people. He had a love for God's people. Because he was not selfish. Because if, if, if Nehemiah, if it were some of us today, who said, that is not my business. I'm, I'm, I'm living in the, in, the, in the king's palace. How does that concern me? I get my food, quality food. I get every favor that I have, I need from, from the king because I'm serving wine to the king. That is the the right-hand man of the king. This is not what Nehemiah did. The Bible says that when he heard this news, he mourned for a number of days. He fasted and prayed before the God of the heavens. He stopped everything that he was doing and took God's face on behalf of his people, on behalf of those who are suffering, on behalf of of Jerusalem, even though he was very comfortable where he found himself. But he said he could not take this. He could not sit here and enjoy while his people, while Jerusalem, the wall, has been shattered and the gates burned. One very important thing that we see here in this verse 4 is that Nehemiah, even though he was a right-hand man of the king, he did not just rush to meet the king. The Bible says that He's, he prayed before the God of the heavens. He first of all saw God's face. 
So, brothers, my advice to us is that it is true that problems sometimes they come in different ways and, and, and different magnitude. Sometimes they hit, it comes in a way that we can't really bear to really have even the peace to look unto God. But let us learn that no matter how difficult that problem may be, no matter how hard the situation may be, let us first seek the face of God first. Nehemiah could have just rushed directly and see the king and say, Sir, this is what is your highness. My people are suffering. But no, he placed God first. God was his number one priority. So that tells us as a church, listen, are we committed to place God first in everything? As Christians, do we put God first before we undertake any project? Do we seek God's first before we, we undertake any? Do we seek God? Do we, do we wait unto him for, for him to give us advice and, and direction? Nehemiah did. Nehemiah did. He knew that if he, if he had just gone directly to the king, yes, of course, that is, he had favor from the king. The king could have actually given him what he wanted. But he left. He took a step further. The God that he trusts, the God that he put his, his faith on, the God of Israel, he soaked his face. He fasted and prayed unto the Lord before he went to the king. And if you can read chapter 2, you will see how his time spent in the presence of the Lord yielded the fruit as he gave him favor in front of the king. The Bible says in Matthew, I think he says, I seek you, um, that we should seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness. We seek his face, God's face and his righteousness. Seek his face, the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness and every other thing shall be added unto us. That is the word of God. And I see the same principle applying here in the life of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah prayed. He, he, he stopped whatever he was doing and then looked unto the Lord and, 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 and cried out to the Lord. For many days he mourned and, and fasted and prayed. So fasting, my brothers and sisters, is very, very important. You know, we are living in times today where, you know, people can easily get our society here, people can easily get what they want, anytime they want, how they want it, just like this with a, with a snap of a finger. But that's true. don't be taking that for granted. Fasting is very, very important as a child of God. Fasting and praying is very, very important. How many times have we fasted for the sake of other people, for other people's burden? Just so you know, this guy here, Nehemiah, this was not like it was... It, it, he took it at heart because that is where he comes from and that is his people, that is his, his, uh, his country. He, he, he neglected or ignored the fact that where he was actually currently, he was leaving him good. So Christians, we need to intercede and stand the gap for other people. That is our responsibility. We need to stand and pray and fast for our neighbors, the unsaved. We need to fast and pray for our church. We need to fast and pray for our children. Fast and pray for our nation. This is what Nehemiah was doing. He saw what was going on. The, new, when the news got him. The first time, the first thing that this guy did, this guy was very, very much heaven conscious. That's why when he heard the news, he stopped and looked first unto the Lord and cried out unto the Lord. That passage says that he mourned for several days and fasted and prayed. Why was he doing that? 
Two things. Because one, the remnant that were left in Jerusalem, they were suffering, going through under hardship. Not only hardship, but also disgrace. The disgrace part is because these are God's children. These are people that God has chosen, that they are my people. I, am, I will be your God, and you are my people, and I will be your God. That is a disgrace to see them in that same situation. So that is why he was fasting and praying, because it concerned him as well. And of course, the second one was that the world has been turned into ruins, and the gate has been burned. My advice and suggestion to us this evening is that even though we read here, we see that it was Nehemiah, but I think that it applies in our lives every day as well as Christians, that we need to stand the gap for others. Don't go and fast only when you feel that it concerns only you. No, that would be very selfish. Don't pray and spend time and spend hours and spend days praying. It is good though, but also do that for others as well. Because we are called to do that. Then we go now to the next part about Nehemiah's prayer. I love, I love Nehemiah's prayer. We see how Nehemiah was praying. In that verse 4, we see that Nehemiah wept. We see that Nehemiah mourned for several days. Nehemiah fasted and prayed before the God of heavens. Certain problems in our life need the intervention of fasting and prayers. Even if we look, even if we look at the, uh, uh, Matthew chapter uh, uh, 17, verse 20, 21, when Jesus actually, the disciples were unable to heal this guy who was possessed with demons. And they said they prayed and, and, and they could not. And they, and they came and, and met him and said, Master, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus, first of all, he talked to them and said, you oh, men of little faith. And then in verse 21, in KJ, King James Version, he says that, how be it this kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. So there are some problems in our lives, some difficulties in our lives that need prayer and fasting. There are some deliverances that need prayer and fasting. There are some breakthroughs that need prayer and fasting. So prayer and fasting, it is a requirement for believers. We love our food and hamburgers and all those good stuff so much so that we when they talk about, when a church calls time to talk about fasting, we complain. We, first of all, we talk about our health problems. You know, sometimes the health problem is the coverage of your delicious meal that you are thinking of eating ahead of time. But listen, folks, we need to fast and pray as a church because it is very important. You need to fast and pray as an individual Christian because it is very important. We are called to do that. We are called to do that. Then let's go to verse 5. In verse 5... So Nehemiah actually, from verse 5 to 11, Nehemiah began to pray. Verse 5 to 6a, Nehemiah worshipped the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his command. So he recognizes actually that God is a God who keeps his covenant. God is a God who never fails. God is a God that anytime he says it, he will do it. After all, his words are yea and amen. So he believed in God and worshipped God for his word. In verse 6, it says that, Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servant, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. 
So Nehemiah worshiped God. And when we go now to verse 6 from uh, verse 6b to uh, 7, Nehemiah confesses his sins and that of his people. Now the question is, Nehemiah actually he was in exile. Why would he be confessing the sin of his people? After all, they are the ones suffering right there. They are the ones going through hardship. He is right here gaining favor from the king. Why would he, as he seeks God's face, he's confessing the sin of his people? Because as you see when we go down, he will not say they are sins. He included himself Inside, say, we have, meaning that he also was involved. There is something important that Nehemiah actually brought here, and which I will have to say this. Listen, this church, just like a family, the family is a body. And there are certain sins that an individual may commit in that family that will affect that family. There are certain sins that a child, Job for instance, that's a good example. Job was, every time, we know the story, Job was, every now was praying and confessing on behalf of his children. Because Job knew that there are certain sins that, in his absence, the children might commit that will not only affect them, but will also affect his entire family. This is very, very important, to confess the sins of your children, confess the sins of your spouse, confess the sins of your relatives, confess the sins of your people, because there are some sins that they may commit that may also affect you. Without which, Nehemiah would not have been praying because we are not seeing where he committed sin here. He was praying for their confessing their sins and say he also is involved. As a matter of fact, here, Nehemiah in this prayer of confession, he brought in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 4, no, Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 to 31. And, and, and which the Lord made the promise from verse 7. He said, we acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. So, in the book of Moses, in Deuteronomy, and also in Leviticus, God promised them blessings. That if they were going to obey him, he was going to bless them. But God also told them if they will be stubborn, God was going to do what? Scatter them away from their land. So that is why Nehemiah, as he prays now, he's bringing and citing God's own word. Making himself also not exempted from the sin, from the disobedience that the people of Israel has committed against the Lord. Which actually has brought them the dilemma which they found themselves today under the hands of Pharaoh. I mean, the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 7, we have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the command, statutes, and ordinances you, have, you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the Father's horizon. I will gather them from here and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. He found himself also plugged into the sin of his people. So he made a confession and prayed for the entire house of Israel, not only for himself, because the sins actually that was committed, even in his absence, also affected him. That is why he made this prayer. It affected him as well. So it is important that when we pray, we should pray for our children. Pray for uh, 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 um, our relatives. Pray for your spouse. And I want to make something clear here. The fact that you've been affected in a particular sin does not mean that you lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying that when somebody commits sin, then you lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. There are certain sins that affect you because you have some relationship with that person. And we are seeing that illustrated here by Nehemiah. He was praying for his people because as per the law of Moses, as per the command of Moses in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they have gone astray. So he also looked at himself as a victim. In verse 8 and 9, Nehemiah quotes God's word back to him. Like I said, as he referred to Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 to 31, and Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1 to 41. And lastly, in verse 10 and 11, Nehemiah made his plea. Let's see what Nehemiah says as he prayed unto the Lord. Verse 10, he says, They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. So when he was talking about the presence of this man, that was referring now to the king, King Artaxerxes, the king of, of, of Persia, where, where, whom that he was serving. And at the end, he says, at, the, at that time, I was the king, the king's cup bearer. So he was praying to God to grant him favor in front of the king. Because even if he was to do something, there is no way he would leave the king's presence without letting the king know. So he asked God, grant me favor in front of this king, the man. So that by the time I go and meet him, you will touch his heart and that he will grant me permission to go and rebuild the wall. It is interesting, if you have time, you can read chapter 2. It tells you how God actually granted favor. Because normally... As a cup bearer, every time you come in front of the king, the presence of the king, you don't put on a frown face. You don't wear a face that like have a problem. But on this day, Nehemiah could not help it because after that he went now to serve the king. And the king looked at him and said, you are not in your normal, your countenance tells me there is something that is going on with you. And he went and engaged in the conversation. He said, how can I be happy when your people, my people are suffering? And the conversation goes on from there. The, king, the queen also interjected. And they asked him, when, when are you going to come back? And he went on and on and on. And then uh, Nehemiah now gained favor from the Lord. And then was, he went forward and was asking the king, please give me a letter also so that when I go, I should give to those governors that should supply materials for the building of the wall. See what fasting and prayers can do. Waiting on the Lord for a problem. Trusting in the Lord, crying out and, and fasting and praying for the Lord. You see how Nehemiah's time that he spent with the Lord has granted him favor. Not only favor from the king, but also all the other. The, the king wrote a letter to him to, to distribute to all the other governors as he go across the way. For them to do what? To supply building materials for the wall. I'm ending this evening here to challenge us. As I started, what is your wall? What is that wall of yours that has collapsed? What is that thing that to you is a burden, serious burden, that you, you might have prayed and, and did everything by your own power, and the thing is still there. The problem is not going away. Look at the life of Nehemiah. The God that Nehemiah served is the same God that me and you we are serving. He has not changed. 
And I believe that the grace of God that came upon Nehemiah, God's grace is still abundant and sufficient to, to sub, substantial equivalent dose to everybody today. When you have a problem, please, before you rush and make announcement and, and do whatever you want to do with it, lock your room, sit there, and cry it out to the Lord first. Because God will give you wisdom. God will give you direction. Don't depend on what your pocketbook says. Don't depend on how related you are with people and how you know people to do things. But as a child of God, you want to make sure that God's name is glorified in every situation. You don't want to give human the glory. Go first to the Lord, cry out to the Lord, and the Lord will direct you. And he will make your path straight. And his name shall be glorified. Amen. I'm sure this evening you have been blessed. I'm sure that we, we've seen the life of Nehemiah had spoken something in our own lives as well. Listen, God is still there. And he's just waiting just like he, 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 he exposed himself. And as Nehemiah found him, the same God is there today. Don't give up. Don't give up. Nehemiah did not give up. Don't give up. Trust the Lord. Put your trust in him. Cry out to him. Wait on him. Seek his face. Follow him. He says in Jeremiah that if you seek me, you shall find me. And I'll show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. It's the same God we are serving. The God of Nehemiah is the same God of today. Amen. So let's be on our feet, please. I, I want to lock hands with you as we pray this evening, if you will permit me and permit us um, to do that. Is there anyone here that you think that you, there is something that you have been trusting God for? Is there a family member who you're thinking you've been trying and trying and, and trusting God? You just want a breakthrough in your life for that particular thing. Is there anyone? Please come forward and we'll join hands with you and pray. Is there anyone who has not yet met Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I'll be glad to introduce you to that one. Really, really, really glad to introduce Pastor Dan. I'll really introduce, I'll be glad to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Is there anybody? Anyone? Okay. So, let us pray. Father God, you never make mistakes, and you have never, never, ever made a mistake. Father, nothing happened for coincidence. Everything by you is planned. So, Father, this evening and this world, it has not taken you by surprise. I know that, Heavenly Father, you know what our hearts are. May you bless your word. Father, may you come to our rescue. Give us, O oh God, the power. Give us, O oh God, the strength. Give us the wisdom. Father, give us the ability to stay focused on you regardless of the heat. We might not be like Nehemiah, but Nehemiah also was just a man with flesh and blood like us. We are asking that heavenly Father, may you by your grace help us to always run unto you. Help us to always put you first in every circumstance and in every situation. We just thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for this service. Lord, you are our God. We put our trust unto you. May you continue to bless us. 
And may you take us back to our various homes safely. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.